Hello and welcome to the Humanizing Growth podcast series, brought to you by the Institute for Real Growth. Each week, IIB founders Frank Van Den Driest and Mark de Swan-Arons will be talking to global leaders and practitioners to discuss what it takes to drive human-centric growth. For more information, visit www.instituteforrealgrowth.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to this Humanized Growth Series between myself, Mark de Swan-Arons, and two very special guests, Brian McNamara and Tamara Rogers of GSK Consumer Healthcare. If I give you a proper introduction, which of course I will, these are two of uh, the most important leaders of a company that is going through a huge shift. It's part of GSK, and it will be at some point in the next year, a standalone company being spun off how exciting that is, but two leaders that both come from similar worlds, although very, very different players, big competitors in the past. Brian McNamara uh, comes from the school of uh, Procter & Gamble supply chain, but then marketing and has as one of his big points behind his name that he led the brand Tide, which of course is the the big mammoth within uh, Procter & Gamble, and then came into healthcare through Novartis and Pfizer's working together with GSK and now this spin of so huge experience there. Uh, Brian, it's very special to have you here and uh, we intend to learn a lot from you. And Tamara comes from the other side of the aisle in Unilever, a former colleague of mine. And uh, so no preferences here, but still, I um, had to say that. <laughs> and uh, huge brands, uh, big brands to be proud of, including uh, Dove, and in the personal care business, uh, but then in uh, GSK already for quite a few years and CMO Global since 2019. This is truly a house of brands with Advil, Panadol, the whole Centrum and uh, vitamin sector, the huge Sensodyne that every other uh, toothpaste company is uh, trying to understand uh, what it can learn from, Terraflu, Volta, and I mean, it keeps going. Massive brands uh, that perhaps people didn't know who was behind and and what the connecting uh, tissue is there. So we'll talk about all of those things. Please, if I can ask you both, I mean, we can't just start a conversation and pretend that everything is normal. If you look back the last 18, 19, 20 months, what have been the most important experiences and learning for you since the start of uh, COVID-19? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Listen, this has obviously been an incredible, devastating tragedy in the world and, and in, the, in the health of the world. And I'm not sure we're going to understand the implications of that for a long time to come. And we're obviously still in the middle of it. But even with that, I think there's, there's opportunities for positive things to come out and there's challenges within that. For me, my wife, Kathy, and I live in London. We have three daughters in the U.S. Kelly and Caitlin are 27, twins, and my youngest, Erin, is 24. We left London in March uh, of 2020 to go back to the U.S. and spend most of the next 12 months uh, with them, all living again in the same house uh, and mm. having dinner every night and connecting in a way that I probably hadn't had the chance to do for years. And I just found it to be an incredible regrounding of what's important in life, relationships that I just haven't had a chance to be as connected to, people that are so important in my life. So that was just a real positive situation. I think also this move to technology and the use of technology, I'm a huge extrovert and connector. 
And while I miss the human connection of being in markets and seeing colleagues and the Tamara and the people I work with, in some ways, I was visiting people in India and China for two hours on a Tuesday because we could. And while that technology was always there, we never used it. So, you know, I think this is something that I wish never happened and I hope we get through this and it never happens again. But there's some things that came out of it that I feel like, you know, you can take away and find the positive in almost every situation. And, uh, and Mark, for me, I think, you know, very similar. Um, and I think I learned just how unbelievably adaptable humankind is. Um, so I personally had the same situation in terms of being locked down with my family. I'm just at that empty nester phase, so now they've both headed off to university, so we kind of managed to grab them with an intensity of living at home together before, before that happened, which made it a little harder, I have to say, but also quite nice to get them out. Um, and then I was just amazed at just how, you know, we all thought, how are we going to do innovation? How are we going to do creativity when we're all sitting remotely from each other? In fact, sitting, you know, I was working, my son's bedroom became my office. How was I going to do advertising and innovation ideas? And it's incredible how fast we all learned how to use Miro and creative uh, processes that were tech-driven. And actually now we've got this incredible record of all the things we thought of before. So it solved another problem, which was, you know, big organizations knowing what they know. So, yeah, it's uh, been a tough, but, uh, but you know, always look at the bright side of, uh, of how you can extract the value. Yeah, very clear. Well, I, and I want to stick with your personal uh, experiences and also now shift it to what guides you in those experiences. Uh, we talk uh, tremendously and we will talk at the corporate level for you about purpose and everything. Of course, um, Frank and I wrote a founder's perspective letter last week, which was about marketing's Iggy guy. And it's an exercise we do, uh, but it really comes down to what is your personal purpose. And so before we talk about what you're doing as leaders, can I ask each of you to just talk a little bit about your clarity around your purpose and the role it plays uh, for you? Yeah, thank you, Mark. For me, it's all about bringing courage, energy and passion to inspire growth. It's all around this idea of inspiring growth. And I, I remember when that became clear to me. It was probably 25 years ago, sitting with my father at his retirement party after 40 years as an executive in a bank and seeing person after person get up and give a speech about how he impacted them, their growth, their life, their family, like everything. And I remember sitting there, dad, very humble, was embarrassed by the whole thing. But I remember sitting there thinking, that's what I want my retirement party to be like. And I think over time, that idea of inspiring growth has really expanded from helping people grow to that, but beyond, to helping businesses grow, communities grow, growth and the impact we can have on the world. And that's really, it, it really does guide me and energize me, how I interact with my organization, how I think about the strategy of the company, how I think about the impact we have in the company beyond the brands we have and, and where we take stances externally, how we influence the planet and social issues. So for me, it's really been a guiding light that is, has really evolved over time to be something even much bigger. If I can just, just one follow-up question. So for you, what is growth? Yeah, for me, growth is all about expanding your horizons, becoming better every day pushing yourself. You know, for me, I feel like I'm on personally on a constant journey of growth, growth to become a better leader, to have more of an impact on the world, to have more of an impact on the people around me. 
continuing to stretch myself. And I just feel like that's a continuous journey. And it's something that I take very seriously for myself. But it's also part of my purpose is to help inspire others to do the same and to, uh, you know, create that kind of environment and, and help people get the best out of their lives of what they want and, and also help us have an impact on the world because we serve a billion and a half consumers every year and we're a healthcare company. So the more we can create that growth mindset within our organization, the more impact we can have on people all over the world in such a positive way. Very clear. And obviously, no pushback from me there uh, at the Institute for Real Growth. So Tamara, please, if I can ask you the same question. Yes. Uh, so I think my purpose really, when I was reflecting on it, came out of initially being um, uh, playing sports. So I uh, love sports and uh, I, I like to play centre midfield. And the reason I like it, and I think it has a parallel to, to the kind of roles I've done, it's a very strategic role and it sets up plays. So I used to love to change direction in the game and then and make a pass. But really, and that pass really being the unlock. So how I could unlock somebody else's potential uh, to usually then score a goal. So my purpose started with being the wind underneath others' wings. But I think as I've come into the CMO role, I've thought long and hard about, I want more than that. And actually, I'm not satisfied unless I see change. So it's still about that kind of unlocking potential, but it's also about breathing in belief and then landing change because change needs belief. Um, so it's about the strategic playmaker, unlocking potential, but really then landing, uh, enduring change. If I can ask you to then make the translation to work, but how has it actually guided your career choices? You made one massive change when you left Unilever, yes. of course. Can you sort of talk us through that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very much. So I think, um, but also kind of discovering and crafting that purpose. So I, the belief piece, I think there's a huge um, and a very important role that marketers play in building belief because we are often trying to drive change, do something a bit different. And I think I really learned that on one of the brands I worked at in Unilever, a teenage boys body spray called Axe or Lynx, depending on which bit of the world you live in. And every year we were bringing out some crazy new idea that really engaged with teenage boys. General managers, aren't typically teenage boys and you start with a very fragile idea and you've got to build belief into that idea because you then do the crazy thing and every time we did it it was incredible and a huge envy from other companies around how do they do that so I think I really learned how to build belief there and then in companies we all say change is the only constant right we're constantly changing and even when you think about the journey we've been going on with getting ready to be in do marketing in a digital world, that was a big transformation. So I think that's where I really put my time and effort into driving change, but making it land and last. And then to the kind of big, big choices around roles, I'm attracted to roles that need change and that need, need somebody to try and stand out front and be inspirational about what we're trying to do and where we're going. But really, then you have to take people with you. Because otherwise, if you don't realise your dreams, it's kind of not worth having them. So I have been attracted. I did a role. I remember actually I moved out of marketing into sales. Uh, and that was because I saw an opportunity to bring the customer, the shopper. So this is way back in the day, <laughs> ageing myself here, but cash free management didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so in my sales role, I said, do you know what? I don't think I really want to do this sales thing. Can I, can I bring the consumer and the shopper into the, the persuasiveness around why we should do things differently? So it was the kind of early... Early days of category management I created um, with, uh, and I actually started in laundry on a laundry brand as well. So I was personal brand manager in the UK. 
Um, Did we so compete? Did we, we might, compete? Well, we might well, you were in America and I was in the uh, UK, okay. so maybe not. But So I, I think that was the first time I saw an opportunity for change. And then, and then I, I wanted to become a general manager. So having been in marketing for so long, I saw an opportunity that I really wanted to switch and, uh, and bring again some, I went to a very operationally intense market, the US, where you're working really hard with retailers and I really wanted again, bring the consumer into that uh, and make sure that we were doing consumer driven growth and not just you know, some of the sales driven uh, approaches. So yeah, I think I'm a, I'm a magnet to change. And uh, it's uh, so interesting and indeed, so many marketeers point to their obligatory days in sales as the time that they learn most, isn't that true? If that was about you, I'm going to bring it all together, but let's, let's, let, let, let's look outside for a moment because you've both talked about the crazy time we've come out of, uh, the silver lining, but also the, the incredible human tragedy. And things have really changed in terms of what we're facing, what you're facing. Now you're going to be bringing a new baby, a new company into that world. What is actually different? If we just put our business hats on now and look at, all the stakeholders out there. Can you both, perhaps from your perspectives, g- give your view on what the changed world looks like and what that means for you? Brian, perhaps start at the business level and then we can talk about consumers and expectations with Tamara. Yeah, I think, I think first, Mark, what this highlighted is, is the importance of, of everyday health, of the health of me as an individual, but also the health of those people around me, right? Because you can't be healthy if others around you aren't healthy. And I think that became very clear in the pandemic. I also think it highlighted for us, you can't be healthy if, the, if you don't live in a healthy planet. As we've seen that, I think for our business, I fer- certainly feel like being a company that's about to become independent, that's 100% focused on delivering better everyday health, and our purpose is about delivering better everyday health with humanity, is, is how we articulate our purpose. It's, it's really about how do we now step up into this role that plays such an important, such an important role for the 1.5 billion people we serve all over the world. And I think the other piece as we, as we think about that, I also think expectations from consumers, from customers, from colleagues, employees, uh, governments, health authorities has really changed too. And they expect companies to take uh, NCOs to take stands on important issues environmental issues, social issues. Um, And you need to be really clear as an organization, as a company of what you stand for and what's important to you, your business, but your your colleagues and a company living to their purpose, what that is. And I think those expectations were there prior to the pandemic. I feel like it just accelerated all that. And the world needs leadership. And, And I think companies have a huge opportunity to step in and provide that leadership. So if I can just probe a little further there, because uh, Tamara, of course, is going to speak more about those commute consumer expectations. But yeah. um, at the Institute, we talk about sort of the period starting with Bill Gates championing for a more conscientious capitalism. And so in 2008 already, and, and you know, a louder and louder voice for companies to take that multi-stakeholder perspective, you talked about the planet, and then BlackRock really making the big announcement yeah. to all the CEOs. Um, how, how has the investor environment changed in terms of what kind of questions you get? Is it really different? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, to be open as, you know, I've met with hundreds of investors over the last 12 months as we're looking to bring our 
company, you know, as a standalone public company, there's no question there's massive interest in the whole ESG agenda. And there's an expectation that um, as a company, you, you have a very clear link between your purpose, your business strategy, and your growth, and that ESG agenda. And what it needs to be is it needs to be authentic and real. You need to mean it. It can't just be words. You need to take action. And I think that's a risk of if you, if you truly stand for something, you need to put resources behind it. And for us, what's fantastic is as a consumer healthcare company, as a company focused on everyday health, it isn't hard to figure out that link between the impact, positive impact we can have on the world and, and the business um, we want to grow. Because growth in our business actually means we're impacting more consumers. So, and by the way, growth in our business gives us a right to do good in the world. And so I think the link between the environmental, the social agenda, and what investors want has never been clearer and tighter. And as I go into this journey, as we go into this journey, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like we're just positioned in a, in a really great place to have that, kind of, have that kind of impact. And one of our big focus areas as we come out is going to be around health inclusivity, which is an area that we saw in the pandemic you know, you saw underserved populations suffered a lot more. There was more death. So there's so much opportunity here for us in this everyday health world we live in to just have a real positive impact. It's incredible to hear that truly from your perspective, as you have your conversations, you're seeing that difference uh, because so many CEOs were saying, look, I, kn I know what I want. I know what's right, but my investors aren't allowing me to do this. And all they're interested in is profit. And that seems to have really changed over the last uh, decade or so. Um, yeah, I think so, Mark. And the only thing I'd add is I think it's really important that that ESG agenda links and shouldn't be separate from delivering those shareholder returns. Because it, it, truly, it truly drives through the organization from your purpose to your strategy to your, your ESG agenda to your growth. Then they don't need to be at odds. I think they can be completely um, synergistic. Yeah, that's very clear. Uh, Tamara, putting on the, squarely your marketing hat, your windows on the world hat, uh, what are you seeing in terms of changed expectations? Yeah, well, obviously this pandemic is a health crisis. And I think what we see, and the, the best analogy I can use is pensions. You know, so I think with health, everybody just used to think, I'll put that off um, till tomorrow, a bit like looking into a pension when you're younger. And I think suddenly health became front and centre. And uh, we just saw this massive increase in, in importance. So just take one market. We saw a 25% increase in health-related searches in Google, just in Germany. Um, and that actually was uh, 9 billion health-related searches. So people are information hungry. We also see that they're wanting to take more holistic care of themselves. Uh, we saw our, our vitamins, mineral supplements, you know, things that help with your overall health and your immunity. The sales of those um, were up in double digits. So brands like uh, Centrum, Caltrate, Emergency, so things that can really aid immunity. And I think when you then think about what does that mean then for us, well, that desire for more information means we need to really think about the consumer journey and how we make sure we show up with the right information along that journey. The holistic desire gives us an opportunity for, for more innovation going beyond just you know, the uh, treat 
phase of, of the health journey. But it also meant that um, we had to behave with agility. So we had something called COVID Watch, and, we were, and this was working with Google, looking at search, and just trying to understand what is it that's on the minds of people today, and then how do we make sure we're creating the right communications, the right assets to help people on that journey. And we switched into different experiences. So Voltaren, which is all about the joy of movement, started doing at-home exercise classes. Uh, so we were definitely kind of going beyond just uh, the treatment of the condition. So, yeah, a lot of changes. And they, you know, I could talk for an hour at least, and you don't want that, about some of you know, the kind of bigger picture changes for the consumer with everything we've been going through in the last two years. Did, did you see as the brands individually uh, were impacted by this overall shift in the outside world, did you see any differences in response time or success because of the clarity that each of the brands had about what they stood for? Um, well, again, I st we start with the company purpose. So, you know, with our with the everyday health with humanity, um, which, you know, to be honest, as Brian and I were working together with the leadership team on this, we could really see um, that the the world of healthcare was quite clinical, cold, and distant. Stand in front of a shelf and try and pick a product when you don't quite know what's wrong with you. Um, and so, we really want to make sure we're closing that gap between. Um, healthcare and the very humanity it needs. And now when I then took that for the marketing organisation, it's all about building brands with humanity. And obviously I think our brands are born into purpose because we are in healthcare, but some of them have really um, blown that out in a bigger way than, than others. So um, just to your resilience question, the Voltaren brand, you know, we started there, the joy of movement. It is about dealing with a pretty serious condition. So you have, might have an osteoarthritic knee or muscle pain. And that can make you want to not move around. Uh, and Voltaren wants to get people moving because actually that's well, way better for your health and your recovery. And we took it another stage further, which was all about when you move, the valuable connections that you make. So being able to take your granddaughter out for a bike ride or walk with your friends and the valuable connections, which again, I think talks a bit to some of the managing the mental health issues that we've, all seen, we've seen during this pandemic. So yes, I think our brands that could really live their purpose um, have, have, have been able to engage with the consumer and get more attention. And we've seen the benefit of that in, in our sales. And some of them, we still have some work to do. Uh, we have a great product promise, but we need to then go beyond to really blow that out into a purpose. I, I have to say that uh, so Frank and I have been working in the area of brand purpose for 20 years now. Very, very early on, we started using an example from one of our clients, which happened to be at the time GSK, and it was the uh, smoking prevention uh, team. Mm -hmm. And they, I, I don't know uh, if you know this story, they literally had a sign on their wall, which they updated every day, which was the number of lives that they'd saved. Because they'd done the math on the direct correlation between the sales of their products, the number of people that actually quit smoking and all the way through to therefore how many people fewer by a best estimation were dying of lung cancer and i don't think i've ever seen a more direct uh, statement of purpose and that team was so driven uh, but you i my question was about the brands and you took it to somewhere where i really want to go now which is indeed the corporate purpose because the two of you are doing something that almost no one gets to do to start from scratch you're launching a new company, although, of course, it exists. And, um, and, and, and building a purpose, that's true, to your point, but then bringing it alive and making sure that it is being done. Um, 
Can you walk us through that process, literally step by step, how you came to your corporate purpose and then what the steps were beyond that? So uh, maybe maybe I'll start and then uh, Tamara turn it over and 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 Tamara played such an an important role in us developing that. Um, um, what we did as a leadership team is we took a step back and actually it was in December of 2019, so pre-pandemic, and we started working on purpose, strategy, and culture for the new company and doing a real refresh. And we spent the next six months um, meeting sometimes uh, twice monthly for a number of hours. And, and a lot of that discussion was around, what do we want to stand for as a company? What is the articulation of that? What does it, what does it mean if we have that purpose? How would we behave differently? How would it translate into the culture that we want to create? And I, I think the big learning for me in that whole process is, we ended up with delivering better everyday health with humanity but we had probably 10 versions before that. And, and it's the kind of thing I remember saying to our leadership team was, listen, this is something that's gonna be around for the next 50 plus years. So this is not something we need to have a meeting on and lock and go. This is something we need to live with, we need to sit with, we need to uh, debate, we need to discuss, and we need to make sure in the end it's real. And actually, it was a slightly different articulation when I rolled it out and Tamara and I and the team rolled it out to the top 140 leaders in the company. And actually, the articulation wasn't as crisp and clean and we got a lot of feedback. And what was so great about that is we as a team had debated so much. It was like, well, we know what we're clear about. We're clear about this idea of delivering better everyday health. And we're clear about this idea of humanity. So we can change the articulation and simplify it because we knew at the core of what we wanted to be as a company. And by the way, enrolling that top 140 leaders in getting their feedback and actually then taking that feedback and thinking, you know what, they may have something here because it landed differently than we wanted it to, was really, really powerful in, in getting ownership and engagement um, throughout the company. But Hopefully, I didn't take all that, all your thunder, Tamara. So. <laughs> no, no, Let me pass it over to you. No, and this comes back to, to driving change. And I think whilst you say we're starting from scratch, we're actually not. We have a huge um, legacy we're carrying forward with us. And that's one of the things that we're thinking through. How, how do you? We have huge trusted science. We're well known by pharmacists. Our brands are well known. GSK is well known and, a, and obviously a big scientific backing. So we want to make sure we're taking all of that equity with us and so working with all of the folks at GSK, working with my marketing team to get them to help us think about what are the routes we want to pull through that really matter, that will give us the authenticity because it is who we are and it is who our brands are, um, meant that I think this journey of crafting uh, had the time. You know, We were able to take the time to do that well because the leadership team were clear on the bits we wanted to pull through. And then it was about getting people to kind of feel it and live it. And then, obviously, with, uh, with uh, an organization like mine where we're creating stuff for one, two, three, four years out, I kind of needed them almost on the bus a bit earlier um, because uh, you know, the, the, the purpose has to come through everything that you're doing. Um, and so we were road testing it and pulling it and challenging it and then building it in, into the brands. So I think that is part of this change journey is how do you get everybody to understand what it is you're trying to achieve 
see their part in it. And then, uh, Mark, we talked about this before, how they then could find their own uh, individual purpose. And Brian led a, um, a whole load of phenomenal leadership development work last year and will carry it on next year. And a lot of that was about finding your individual purpose and so that you could align that purpose to, to the company one because we know that's a massive multiplier. So I think that gives a little bit of some of the idea. And then, you know, obviously when we, we will be and are working on what the new brand will be, what the new name will be, all very secretive, so don't ask, we can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but we've shared some of that with leadership team as well. So obviously they're, they're within the, sinner, the inner sinner. There might be a bunch really? of sinners, I don't know, but inner yeah. circle. Yeah. Um, and yeah. uh, um, we did that a couple of weeks ago and, and everybody, every single individual was really excited and sort of said, gosh, this looks like the kind of company I want to work for. So I think we're, we're heading in the right direction for our midsummer uh, next year. If, if I would try and attempt to paraphrase, I see two tracks here. On the one hand, as a corporation, you took the time and you came to a formulation, but you weren't locked to it. You, as you rolled it out to a much broader audience, uh, in fact, sometimes they say you have to have half-baked it so that the final baking takes place there. Uh, and that led to some changes that you felt was very respective, respectful of the core, but made it more owned. There's a process which I'd like to ask a little bit more about, which is then the translation to individual brands. But at a personal level, I heard you say that you also started a parallel process at a leadership level to individuals to get their personal connections to that. Brian, before we go back to Tamara and ask about the sort of the, the, the relationship between that corporate brand and how the individual brands then pick that up, can you talk a little bit more about the, the leadership? Apparently you led that. Um, how, yeah. how did you go about that and how did you make it important? Remember, we were in a world where some people lived uh, still before COVID as in this is my work life and this is my personal life and they are separate. Um, how did you go about making this important for everyone? Yeah, I think I think a few things, Mark. I think one, you know, we we step back, and I've always done kind of small cohorts of leadership development with key talent, and I would do that as six of seven people, and and we're in a moment here where we couldn't get people together, and we needed to do it more at scale. So we really stepped back and said, how do we touch our our top hundred and forty leaders, like the the level of leadership below my leadership team, and how do we truly invest in them? And, and honestly, as I, as I talked to, to that group about my personal purpose and what's important to me, it was a bit of, a, of my personal purpose coming to life. It was an investment in all of them and their growth. And, and what we did, and you know, we worked with a, a, a tremendous leadership guru in Kevin Cashman, who's someone I've known for many years, and we developed this, and it wasn't a program, it wasn't a course, it was an investment where I think we got together six times as a group for two to, two to four hours. We created home pods where in between people, groups of 10 would connect. And, you know, it really started by me sharing my personal purpose, my story, why it's important to me. Um, it's an investment in all of them, and it's something that everyone needs to decide what they want to do with and where they want to go. But this idea, if you can create a company where people's personal purpose links and is connected to the company purpose, I think you create something incredibly special in an organization. And that was really the intent. Knowing, by the way, that if people couldn't figure out how they could connect with what we're doing as a company, maybe 
they need to do something else. And not in a bad way, in a personal growth way. Like if this isn't the place where you can truly bring to life what's important to you and what you want to be about, then in, and not knowing that going through that process, it might have created that for some people to say, well, wait a minute, maybe my personal purpose actually takes me here. And that's why the whole thing was really a genuine and authentic investment in them. And by the way, me, because I get so much out of those programs myself. It's where I get my energy, but I continue to learn about myself, my growth. I learn from other people. But it was a true investment in them as individuals, not as them as GSK employees who I need to deliver more next year. It was like an investment in them, genuinely, because it was also at a time when everyone's personal resilience was incredibly challenged. And you can imagine when we first rolled, said we're going to go do this before the first session, there was a lot of people thinking, really, I'm going to spend like these couple hours talking about this when I got work to do. And, and what we found out is that for people, it was an incredible moment of pause, reflection, recharge that really built incredible momentum. And these home pods, which were, again, groups of 10, that would get together in a, in a virtual world in between these sessions to talk about what they learned, it became almost viral, you know, and, and those home pods became almost like a support network. And there were people that had never met the other people because we made sure it was from people all over the world. So it was really something that I had a ton of passion for. And I think that authenticity, authenticity in it was really about how do we invest in those people to make them prepared for this step we're all going to take, but also to make sure that people feel like they're getting from working for this incredible company what they want out of life, and then they can make all that work together. It, it's stunning. I mean, obviously, you were addressing them as humans rather than just as leaders, uh, which uh, it comes back in your purpose. And it just strikes me, a few weeks ago, we had the Hubert Jolie, the chairman and CEO of Best Buy, talk about their turnaround. And they did this all the way to the store level where individual sales representatives were telling their life stories and life ambitions to each other. And let that be a lesson for everyone that's listening to this. At every level, this can be done. And I keep hearing it come back as the unavoidable necessity to start there at the individual. Um, thank you. And to explain that and also um, how inspiring. I, I, I want to ask Tamara about the, the brand aspect because you have such strong brands. You're right. They didn't come out of nowhere. They are strong, big legacies. And now you have this this brand purpose. Can you talk a little bit about the process of making sure that the brands deliver that purpose? Yes, of course. Uh, and by the way, um, my HomePod is still going. So even after the arranged ones, uh, they, they have a life of their own and we, we still connect. Um, so yes, with, with the brand teams, um, we obviously shared what the, the purpose was going to be and how we wanted to start living it. And for each um, individual team, uh, so they went back to their brand heart and really started to think, okay, how am I going to go from where I am today to something with humanity? And I think this is a really important distinction because it is about with humanity um, rather than for humanity. And it, so there are lots of debates and discussion then about, okay, what does that mean? What does that mean for Panadol? What, what does Panadol do with humanity? We have a phenomenal team uh, who... It's a bit like having a, an internal agency team. So we have like a planner and you know, real marketing experts. And so that team 
work with our brands whenever they want to do a refresh on a brand heart. They're, they're pretty enduring. We don't change them very often. But when we want to modernize them, that team come in, work with the brand team and really help make sure we're continually future-proofing our brand. So that team were very excited, actually, about this opportunity, about infusing and infusing humanity into the brands and into the teams. Um, so we go through workshops and then really try and stretch. I think that probably the best example um, would be Theraflu. So uh, Theraflu sold in, in the US um, and in, in many markets around Europe. And that brand was always about helping you power through. So when you've got a cold and flu and you needed to power through your day, and very quickly we realised that a, this was massively tone deaf as we were heading into, into COVID. The last thing we actually wanted people to do with any respiratory challenge was to have to power through this one. You, know, you really need to rest, recover, you know, hydrate, all of those things. So we started to move um, the purpose of Theraflu to fighting in a flu-safe world and then on and beyond around the inclusivity piece that Brian talked to. So how do we make sure that those who don't get sick pay could actually take a day off work? Uh, and our US team uh, joined up with a, um, an organization to then help us cover sick pay uh, for, for some of those people who, who don't have that kind of a, who don't work for that kind of an organization that are going to let them take, take a sick day. And of course, that's targeting some of the underserved populations, so particularly some of the uh, Latinx and um, African American women uh, in the US who feel the responsibility to still be bringing in income for their family, um, look after their family, and yet they're struggling themselves with having uh, some kind of a cold and flu. So, so each brand, I think, has really taken the chance to step back and say, where is the center of my brand? Because you can't have a purpose that doesn't align to your brand values and the values of your target audience. So how do I now make sure that I'm amplifying what I stand for? So it's a little bit um, like ESG. It's an expensive add-on if it isn't core to your business. We have lots of lovely uh, advertising spend, but we don't have enough to do something on top that doesn't top up the very heart of, of a brand. So it has to help halo what the brand stands for. So that's the journey that we've been going on and a little bit of the how. A dedicated team. I remember Mark Mathieu talking in a conversation like this when he brought, what was it, Crafting Brands for Life at Unilever. He had a dedicated yeah. team, uh, a SWOT team that worked with all of the, I think there's a real lesson learned here for all marketers mm -hmm. that uh, when you take on an initiative this big it's not an add-on it's something you do very thoroughly and it's clearly taken a lot of time to think that through so as you were doing this on the brand uh, part of the business um, Brian can you talk a little bit more about the other stakeholders and how you started the thought process and perhaps what it's led to uh, in terms of what the new purpose means for the other stakeholders that uh, yeah. the new businesses will have yeah, and, and, and Mark, a lot of this, especially around our ESG agenda, we're going to share a lot more when we get to our Capital Markets Day in March, per se. But the thought process really was, as a company that's all about delivering better everyday health with humanity, what would we do from an environmental perspective? What, you know, what, what would we do from a social perspective? And that led to you know, uh, our external commitments, which we've made around environmental sustainability, around the reduction of plastics and recycled plastics, around how we're impacting our carbon footprint. It led to this idea of health inclusivity, which again is, 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 is about how we can really make a difference. And, 
Tamara talk a, a bit about that. I mean, in you know, again, the Latina population, African American population is is underserved as we went through the pandemic in in many cases. And so, how do we help those underserved populations and stay core to core to our business? From a colleague perspective, an employee perspective, you know, as we sit down and think, what how do we what do we want to stand for from an inclusion diversity perspective how aggressive do we want those targets to be how do we want to create an environment where everyone belongs and and feels this sense of belonging in this company and linked to this purpose it's really influenced how we're thinking about how we're approaching that and how we'll how we'll do things different you know different going forward we talked about the um from the investor perspective it's how do we really take that purpose and link it down through our strategy, through what we're doing from an ESG perspective. So there's just a clear link. There isn't a, hey, this is what new GSK consumer healthcare does. And I know, by the way, here's over here is what they're doing from a ESG perspective. No, it's all, it's all linked in there. So I think, I, I think going through that process and having that clarity of what we're going to stand for as a company has really has really just provided a North Star that, that helps guide you know, our decisions. And you hear the language in the organization. What would a company that's all about delivering a better everyday health with humanity do from, for our employees from a health and well-being perspective? Well, of course, we want to we wanna make sure that we're really out there leading and, and differentiating. So I think it's been really powerful. A lot of this, by the way, is still stuff we're preparing and and as we prepare for you know spin in uh summer of uh or mid 22 um but clearly i think it's 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 very easy to step back and think through how does this all come together ultimately linking to the performance of the business because in the end if a business doesn't perform it's very simple for me one we're not delivering our purpose because we're not growing we're not we're not impacting more people very very simple and by the way if you don't perform as a business you don't have a right then to have that impact <laughs> that could get taken away right so it's how you create that incredible link between delivering for all stakeholders including shareholders but also consumers customers colleagues governments health authorities and 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 figuring out how to take a leadership voice in those areas as you think that through and as you basically start to ask some of the questions that marketers have always been asking about consumers, what do they need, what are unmet needs, what are drivers, and how can I put a competitive uh, reply, how can I offer something that's differentiating. You you are a marketer, now you're the general manager, you lead the company, and you have a strong marketer by your side. One of the dynamics we talk a lot about uh, at the Institute for Real Growth is the, the role that marketers can play to help the company be successful in this multi-stakeholder world and i'm going to ask you both the same question because i'm sure there are complementary perspectives as as a ceo what is the role that you need your marketer to play here and and has it evolved is it evolving as we're going through these changes yeah it's a great question by the way i was tied brand manager i remind tamara of that every you know couple of days or so i'm like as you know i was tied brand manager right okay good um, listen, I think... What I brand think, was that? Um, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Tide. Yes, it was Tide. <laughs> uh, great, great, uh, great brand. Great company, too. So, you know, what I'd say is uh, a really important role, and I think it, it, it's in a number of areas. I think, first of all, um, and, and Tamara 
particularly is excellent at this. I think bringing the voice of the consumer to the table all the time, right? Reminding us as a leadership team that has all kinds of demands and all kinds of stakeholders that we are a consumer company and we're here to consume, we're here to serve our consumers. And one of the things we talk about and is, is deep human understanding and really understanding the, the, it, it's more than consumer insights. It's really understanding the human and, and what that means and how we can translate that. And so, you know, Tamara and her group, are, we, we're spending a lot of time on how we get deeper and deeper understanding. You know, the other piece is in a world where now engagement with consumers has changed so radically. I mean, you know, it's probably years now that there's no more digital marketing. It's marketing in a digital world. You know, how, how do we not only create incredible content that's insight driven, but how do we then reach consumers when and where they need it? and where they need it most, and how do we really make sure we leverage those opportunities to have an impact. And then in the end, you know, Tamara, um, and I, I see the marketing organization is, is, is more of the, the, the vision, the, the dream, the purpose for the uh, organization, which is why Tamara played such a key role in the development, in, in the purpose, partnering with me, but with our leadership team, and how do we really think about that and how do we really get to a place that can help guide us to be a great performance and purpose-driven company. As you look at your role uh, as a CMO and, and you compare it to other CMOs that you've seen, do you see the role evolving? And in this process, has your, for example, your interaction with C-suite peers, has that evolved? What's your perspective? Yeah, it's a great question. And uh, we all know that there are chief growth officers out there, chief marketing officers. And, and even actually as, um, as I was working through my role and we were partnering with um, you know, some of the big recruitment companies to just make sure that we were getting the profile right for my role, it's very clear that there are many, many different types of chief marketing officer. And that all depends on what kind of company you are. So for sure, my role has broadened out. And, and I in many ways, I think it reaffirms what marketing is because marketing has always been about growth. It's always been about understanding the consumer and serving and understanding their needs so that you serve the need. And, you know, people were not born on this planet to consume. You know, they have a need and if you serve the need, you sell. And marketing role has forever, whenever I've been you know, in it since the very beginning, is all about identification of growth opportunities. So I think that growth space is really significant. But the big changes that I've seen is, you know, probably one of my best buddies on the leadership team is our uh, chief di uh, digital and technology officer. Um, oh. Because marketing just cannot move forward without being really well partnered and aligned in mindset around the priorities and what we're trying to achieve from that sort of digital and tech space. You know, MarTech now. I never used to talk about MarTech. I never used to talk about CDPs. I never used to talk about tech stacks. Um, so, you know, all of that now is within the realm of the marketer. And I think the division of, you know, some, some folks will have a chief digital officer, some folks will then have a chief marketing officer alongside, um, or may have a, you know, the growth officer, or have all three. And actually, one of our big learnings, I think, was we've taken a step back is there's too many silos in, in organizations today. That was the setup of org design for, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Now it's about collaborative teams, agile working, bringing in the right ingredients into the team at the moment that you need them. Uh, and so we're now trying to think about how can we break down some of the silos and get the teams working together. So I see the, 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 um, the role that I play is uh, trying to help join dots 
pull teams together, including our, you know, working with the leadership team. You know, we work together really well, and we want to try and emulate that all the way down through the organisation. So I think that, and then the other part of my role is really thinking about the sort of what's happening trends-wise, what's happening in the future, um, and that's something we, we also do as a leadership team to say what kind of things are out there that could derail us. What sorts of things should we be thinking about and making plans for? And obviously that place that I'll try and play a role as well to try and help us think through uh, so that we always have plan A and plan B. And I think that's one of the things we all learned through, through the whole of the last two years is that need to be able to be agile and to move, move as opportunities come up. Well, that's very interesting. And I, I, if you don't mind, Brian, before we get to our closing question, I'd like to ask one very marketing specific question because it is where Please. everything I was comes tied together. By a manager, so. <laughs> uh, which is you, you mentioned silo busting, or at least you. Uh, I know that's a, that that's a passion of yours. Um, in service of the experience, you've talked about the tech stack and so forth, but it all comes together in that experience. Uh, how how is that changing? How is that driving the broadening of the marketing interest, perhaps even responsibility? It's changed the way we think about how we set up. In part of my group, there's a, a design team who have always had design thinking, putting people at the very heart of, of uh, business problems and you know, solutions and everything we do. And we're, we're broadening the skill set out there into more experienced design. We're thinking, obviously, we're everything from, you talked about Smokers Health, the, the team in the US have done a phenomenal job at thinking about the experience that someone who's trying to give up smoking has when they go online and how do we best serve their needs right when they, right when they uh, need them because of that opportunity of lives saved. So we're thinking more about how are we, how are we designing the experiences that a, a consumer has around our product? Where on the health journey does it really matter and where do we then make sure we're doubling down so that that health journey helps them get to a, you know, a, better, a better outcome? But it requires this cross-functional group to really come together to, because experience is everything from flipping open the cap of Voltaren and how you apply it, which we won an award for, which is an awesome piece of design, all the way through to buying it in store and, uh, and, and experiencing content online um, to Voltaren at-home exercise programs. So that's ah, a wonderful example. A massive, a massive, massive word. Yeah. yeah and, and maybe I just add, I think that that cross-functional silo busting is so important and even beyond. I mean, as, as Tamara talked about that, you know, in a world of omni-channel um, demand, uh, partnership with supply chain is so critical. Partnership with regulatory and medical and R&D to ensure that we have the right products and the right claims. You know, it, it, it's so much more than just, you know, marketing and sales kind of working together. It's really, it's really that cross-functional team coming together and sitting down and, and, and working on the demand of, of these products because we're we're offering things to consumers that really make a difference in their lives. So I think it's, it's really key and it's something we've been working on as a leadership team and as we look to become this new independent company focused on delivering better everyday health with humanity of how do we, how do we even take this to the next level and really unleash this incredible talent we have in the organization to deliver for, for this one and a half billion and growing uh, <laughs> consumers we serve. Seeing the two of you talk together, and I think tomorrow you said we could talk for hours. We really could. Uh, but seeing the two of you talk together as you prepare for this uh, relaunch or um, spin-off or whatever you want to call it of the new company, I think it's been tremendously useful to everyone to see the partnering 
reaching every part of the company, both from a brand perspective and all the way through to the experience, but also at the leadership level and taking that down to the individuals that are the humans that form your company. Uh, I want to end with a question, which we also always ask, which is the, the thing that you kind of wish you'd known 10 years ago. If, if, if it was a closing thought to all the people that will go through this journey in their shape, what would it be that you say, make this more important? I think for me, it would be, as I think about the last 10 years and the two integrations and now leading through a pandemic and a separation and some challenging times prior at my previous company when we had um, uh, supply issues and things like that. It's just really knowing that all these experiences are about personal growth. And, you know, for me, uh, a, a, a shift that I've come is when I feel overwhelmed or over-challenged or, or feel like, you know, wow, how are we going to get through this? For me, it, I just reframe it. It's the next leadership challenge. It's the next opportunity for personal growth. Like, who gets to do this? You know, Tamara and I and our leadership team and our entire company do, but we're going to take a, an incredible business and we're going to create a new independent company with its own purpose, strategy, and culture. And I think it's all about that. Love the journey. It's awesome. And, and every challenge is just a new opportunity to grow and learn and, and become better. Yeah, I think um, it's a learning theme, same sort of thought. And I think for me, it's we used to, and I'm going back 10, 15 years, we used to craft things to perfection before taking them to the outside world. And I think, you know, what we've learned is getting something scrappy out there so that the consumer can tell you whether they even want it. Um, so the sort of, rather than the, in an old TV world, it would have been, you know, you did your test at the end of your production. The continual checking in and getting foundational learning on that journey so that you're iterating and improving rather than thinking that you know it all and you can do perfection and when you launch it, they will love it. So I think that and, and doing that more often, uh, that, that's the big, big learning, I think. Brian, Tamara, I, I want to thank you for taking a full hour of your day, especially as you're working towards such a big moment. I forgot to say at the beginning that Tamara um, is very special because she's also one of the um, graduates of the IRG 100 program and still part of that network. Uh, I want to thank you on behalf of everyone that's listening for being so open, being so human and pointing out what's important as organizations drive more humanized growth. So thank you. All the best. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. <laughs>